if you ruin somebody's trust or belief in true possibility, they could be broken spiritually and never come back. So somebody who could be an entrepreneur, who could really create something, given the right guidance, the right tools, and the right model, might do something and it blows up or it doesn't work or they buy into the tactic and it so breaks them spiritually, they'll never try again. And that's tragic. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. We have a legend in the field with us today, the one and only Jay Abraham. So for those of you who might have followed my work, you know that I am very much into sales. And so one of the big influences for me that has taught me amazing ways on how to scale your marketing, how to do sales in a better way, and how to really have that focus on impact has been studying the works of this man. He is a business executive, a conference speaker, and author of books. He's the CEO founder of the Abraham Group, and he is recognized as one of the world's most successful, impactful marketing strategists, business innovators, entrepreneurial advisors, mentors, master of revenue, performance enhancement, and acceleration. Listen, for any company that brings a man like Jay Abraham into their midst, into an advisory role, he's able to identify the key opportunities that most people stay blind to and really make you maximize the impact with the resources you already have. He has been creating concepts such as relational capital, talking about risk reversal, and some of his key pivotal ideas such as power partnering, strategy of preeminence, and really popularizing the phrase unique selling proposition. The man has been in the industry and influencing so many people in the marketing and sales field, has been speaking around the world, including being in the major stages around the US, Russia, China, Australia, Mexico, you name it. And now what we're going to speak today is really about de-boxing this concept of the strategy of preeminence. I think it's one of the powerful concepts that he speaks about. So we're going to start there. We'll see where we end up, but we know we're going to have a good time and you're going to learn a ton. Jay, welcome to the call. Thank you. That was one of the fastest, best, most compressed introductions. I thought, I'm going to put that on my phone message. <laughs> I'll send you the clip for that one so you can actually just yeah, play it at any so conference. Cool. <laughs> yeah, no, but thank you for inviting me. And it's my privilege to try to share whatever I can that will impact and, and maybe enhance the lives or the careers or the mindset of the people that you have in your membership and also your podcast viewers or listeners. I very much appreciate that. Where I wanted to kick this off, because you've had a chance to see this industry of consultants rise. You've talked on many stages, you've helped entrepreneurs, and you really popularize your ideas. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you've probably started in the 80s, the 90s, that you started really pushing forward your methodologies? Yeah, I've been doing business growth since the 70s, which will date me. But I started training in the late 80s. We did extensive and very expensive programs throughout the 90s, a little bit in the 2000s. I fatigued of it and I stopped. I started about the same time Tony Robbins did, and we were about the same. And then he got more ambitious and I got tired. So I transcended or shifted, whatever the right word is, to more private one-on-one consulting. And I still do a little bit of programs, but not at the extent I used to. But yeah, I've been doing it for three, four decades. I'd be curious to see 
What are some of the things you feel? Now, this is going to be a big open question for you, but still, I think sure. it's going to be very relevant. I'd be curious to hear what are some of the concepts you're feeling have been the most consistently needed and applied over those years that you've noticed that even from the beginning to the end, it's still the biggest things that people need to apply regardless of the time. It seems so timeless every time you give this advice. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between being a promotion and being a business, Jason. There's a difference between understanding value creation and selling hype. There is a difference between adding value and taking value. And I think that those are factors that are immutable. They'll never change. And I think that throughout my career, I have been drawn to people that were fanatically focused on championing and advocating and providing, filling voids, taking commodity type product services and and adding value, respecting and contributing more to the market. I always was fixated on trying to teach people how to build a sustainable, a preeminent, a preemptive, and a valuable continuous business. And I've always been troubled by people who just taught a tactic, because I think tactics are very useful in the beginning, but a lot of people will intentionally or otherwise delude people to believe that a tactic is going to create a sustainable income for life, which it can't possibly, because whoever's selling the tactic, if you're first in, great, you have an advantage, but the tactic salesman or woman doesn't want to sell you. They want to sell a million of you. So all of a sudden, that advantage becomes a standard operating procedure, and then you got to get another tactic, and you'll never win. So I always try to teach people how to build a sustaining business, which is why we created the three-way to grow business model, the power Parthenon, the nine drivers, the sticking points, all those things that basically teach someone how to start at a beginning and then build something that is enduring and is alive and grows and adds value constantly and knows how to pivot when necessary. But that's been my all the way through since the beginning. I never was a one-trick pony. Not that there's anything wrong with that other than I think tactics are great, but conveying to someone that a tactic will sustain them is a great disservice. I absolutely love that. And it's so true because you can be a fly-by-night, take one tactic, and then when it doesn't work, you kind of disappear. And if you didn't have that true value at the backbone of what you offer, then it doesn't sustain, as you say. Which brings me to the flip side of this question that I also wanted to ask, which is technology has made it more accessible to put ourselves out there. Everybody can have a platform. You're seeing things like Clubhouse. You're seeing Instagram. You're seeing all these social platforms and YouTube being a major one that anybody Mm -hmm. can be a creator of content. Have you noticed what are the big differences that you see now that are different from back when you started that make it more difficult for people to choose someone to listen to that actually truly has advice that is worth listening to? Because it seems like everybody's an expert now. Yeah. I think when I started, there were a couple of denominators that I think were natural, if not filters and screens, at least they were hurdles people had to get over. So most of the people that set out to do things were genuinely expert at what they did. They came from an environment where they were 
already successful doing it in one environment. And they use the stuff that I was introduced to, direct response, direct mail, space advertising, electronic advertising, to expand. Maybe I was doing private clients and I decided I wanted a newsletter or a training program or a membership, but I was already somebody doing very well. And also, because of the cost of doing it, only people who were already reasonably successful could afford to even expand. Today, anybody can do it. They can self-anoint. You are rewarded more for your, I'll call it veneer, than you really are what's the meat on the bone, so to speak. And I think it's dangerous because a lot of people who've never dealt with cyclicality, with enduring anything, are self-anointing. And people, because they're indiscriminate, they don't know how to discriminate the buyers that prospective clientele. And they get deluded to think these people really know because these people have been even been around more than, you know, one cycle. So they don't even know anything. They haven't even been around some of them more than maybe two, three years in business. And I think that it's dangerous because people want to believe. When I started, I was in the newsletter business when the only people that subscribed to newsletters were real investors, people with money who were investing not to churn and turn, not to trade on Robinhood, not that Robinhood is bad, but they weren't trying to get in and out and day trade. They were trying to invest for growth, for appreciation, for income, for yield, and they had assets to do it. Now everybody and their brother wants to be an overnight, you know, you want to do, you know, all these things. You want to do real estate flip. You want to do option trading. You want to basically do things that are very actually dangerous, but we're in a window where for this particular limited little, little window view, it looks very prosperous. And what I've, what I've found is in this kind of environment, when the rug gets pulled out, people scream, I've been violated, bad, 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 but they love it when things are up. I think that between consumers who want to believe they want to believe they can, some of them want to make a million dollars overnight in their underwear while watching Oprah Winfrey and purveyors who want to feed that belief, who don't really have a context of reality because they haven't been even in the market or in the category long enough. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And what I found was if you ruin somebody's trust or belief in true possibility, they could be broken spiritually and never come back. So somebody who could be an entrepreneur, who could really create something, given the right guidance, the right tools, and the right model, might do something and it blows up or it doesn't work or they buy it into the tactic and it so breaks them spiritually, they'll never try again. And that's tragic. Mm, that is quite tragic. Actually, you touched on something that I feel is so important to expand on. And I definitely appreciate your perspective. You've mentioned yourself, you've had a chance to go through the cycle. You've seen every market in the space. And I think there's a part of me that's kind of feeling worried as I'm seeing people in their late teens and early twenties flashing Lamborghinis and promising the world. And you mentioned something where the consumers want to believe there's like a predisposition for us to 
want to believe. It's almost like we have a biased, rose-colored, goggled headset for anything we see online. And as you mentioned, everybody can do it. There's not real experience that needs to be behind it. So I'd love to know what would be some of the things you might advise anybody listening here who are looking for any kind of opportunities that they could nurture a better sense of call it discernment to be able to sift yeah. through this and be better equipped to handle I would love to give people a template. This is going in a direction I hadn't intended, but we're on a roll. So whether we get preeminent or not, we're preeminent in guiding them. So number one, due diligence, learn patience over impulsiveness. If it's really good, it should stand up to scrutiny, Jason. You should be able to talk to people, not who have just done it, but people who haven't and interview them and ask them why. You should study not just the reviews, good or bad. You should talk to other people who are knowledgeable in that category to get their perspective. If you were to look at how a venture capitalist or a private equity firm or a sophisticated investor looks at an investment, and this is an investment, an investment not just of money, but of belief, but of opportunity cost, of emotion, of all kinds of things that we don't recognize. We're really investing bigger than you can imagine. The money is not the biggest part of it, frankly, although it can be. I'm always worried when someone says, oh, you should spend $25,000 to do this. I did a consult today and it troubled me. I won't mention the person because I know that person and I like him, but this person spent $29,000 for a program that when she cited to me what she was getting out of it, and I overlaid it in what she was not doing differently in her life, it troubled me. And she wanted to spend another $30,000 for another one of this person's programs that was going to give her the right to sell that person's programs. And it just really troubled me. I couldn't do that. There was an era, and I don't know, I hope I'm not traipsing on your market, where everybody and their brother would try to sell people to get to pack their credit card, buy twenty-five dollars or $35,000 package of eight seminars, and it was going to transform you, and you're going to become a speaker, and you're going to become an author, and you're going to become a trainer, and you're going to become an information marketer. And certainly, a percentage of people can do that. But we don't all possess that kind of skill set. We aren't all masterful. That's not going to really be our path to prosperity. And I'm very loath. We are very unwilling to ever sell anything to anybody that we don't think is really, really appropriate. And we will talk people out of it because I just don't want it on my conscience. We had a program that I did before the internet, it was called Master of Passive Income. I had generated hundreds of million dollars for my clients and myself, setting up ways to capitalize on other companies' assets and access, cash flow, buyer base, all kinds of things. So I thought, okay, I will teach this to people who really want to do it. And we sold thousands. Uh, we sold almost $20 million worth in less than a year. And I was making money hand over fist, but I saw that no one was doing anything with it. And I stopped it when we were making, I don't know, $400,000 a month in profit. 
because I didn't want it on my conscience if people saw it as pure business opportunity and really couldn't, didn't, wouldn't do anything with it. I didn't want to be intellectual entertainment. I don't think a lot of young people really care about the fates, the destinies, the delicacy of the belief system that they're, I'll call them clients, they would just call them customers. Just I'm very worried about how prevalent and easily accessible gullible people are to uncaring people who will sell to them without concern for the implications. I mean, it really bothers me. Hey, everybody that listens to Superhumans at Work, know that all of these episodes are recorded with a live studio audience. Mind Valley members get a chance to join these sessions with the author themselves while we record these sessions. And at the end of every show, they actually get to participate in a Q&A session as well. If ever you're interested in joining Mind Valley All Access and become a member yourself, you'll get access to all the incredible courses from Mind Valley and so much more to be involved with Superhumans at Work, the Mind Valley podcast, and all the other incredible features when you become a member. We are disrupting the way that education works for the 21st century and we want you to be a part of it. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can learn more about this incredible offer, which will cost you less than $2 a day. That's mindvalley.com forward slash S-U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. I do have to tell you, Jay, every time I'm identifying people as customers or clients, I always think of the book you wrote Thank and that you. defines the difference between a client and a customer. For the benefit of people here, could you give us that tidbit? I think it's so important on why is it so important to consider everybody a client? In order to do that with respect, I have to connect some invisible dots that I'll have to make visible. So Mm. the concept of the strategy of preeminence is not original, although I'm proud that I've been able to evolve it and take it into many different categories of application. But it started out, I had a client that their business was three times bigger and about eight times more profitable per dollar of revenue than any of their closest competitors. And they ended up selling it for well over a half a billion dollars. And I did an exchange with them. I traded them a half a billion dollars of my services for the privilege to study their business, interview all their people, try to understand what their driving superiority, fuel, and strategy was. And I interviewed, I ended up with a thousand pages of notes. I distilled it down. I refined it. I processed it. I reflected on it. I immersed myself, grappled with it, tried to wrestle the key concepts to the ground. And what evolved was this concept called the strategy of preeminence. And you have to start with what it's designed to do so that you can tie into your question about client. So the premise of being preeminent is you want to be seen in the eyes of whoever your market is, and your market can be in business, the people that you're trying to sell to, and you're trying to sell to three categories, people that pay you and the people you pay because you're trying to make sure they believe their mission, their purpose is worthy and noble enough that it's worth them pulling out all the stops and being as passionate as you are. But you want to be seen in the eyes of this market. And the market can be your loved ones, your significant other, your children, can be people you want to influence in the community. But the point is you want to be preeminent. So 
if you want to be seen as the most trusted advisor, there are a lot of elements, which I can explain, but I will skip over all those. But if you want to be seen as the most trusted advisor, operative word is advisor. If you call someone who buys from you a customer, if you look up in, we use Webster's Dictionary, that's our defining source of understanding the meaning of words. You might have a different one in another country, but Webster's Dictionary defines a customer as someone who buys a commodity. Operative word is commodity or a service. So if I call you, Jason, a customer, what I'm saying is, Jason, there's nothing about me, my product, my company, my business that is any different than anyone else you can choose. I am a commodity. If you look up the definition of a client, it has a much more elevated stature, status, and meaning. It is defined as somebody who is under the care, the protection, the well-being of another. It's much more fiduciary, which is in alignment with the role that I'm advocating that you want to play in the lives of whoever you're trying to influence. And that's just music to my ears when you say that definition. I'm always reminded of that in every conversation. And that power of that language, I think, is so important. So thank you for opening that up and explaining that. And to go back to the strategy of preeminence, you're talking about stepping into the role of being a trusted advisor. I think it'd be interesting to put that in comparison to what do you see most people do? Because it seems like that would be a great intention. I'm wondering why is it that not so many people seem to be able to step into that powerful role when it seems so clear when I hear it, that it would be a powerful role to play in to be successful. It is liberating, intoxicating, and rarefied when you can operate in that kind of a mindset. But it is in contravention of self-servingness. I mean, here's a concept that you probably, it'll be music to your ears, Jason. So if you look at life, business, romance, any kind of aspect of life. We are rewarded in our lives, in our careers, in our enterprises, in direct proportion to the quantity, quality, and consistency of problems we solve and opportunities we make possible for others. And we make money because of that. Ultimately, long-term, you will only be rewarded for benefits you create for others. That's it. And when you take that into consideration, the problem most people, the people that I'm being very blatantly and explicitly critical of, they're not really fixated on adding value. They're fixated on adding to their bank account. Because there are certain people that shouldn't be buying it. There's certain people that should only be buying it with certain cautionary admonishments that, you know, this could work. It may not. This might work if you have the time. I don't recommend this. Being preeminent is being more truthful, telling people what you really believe, always telling them what's in their best interest, not yours, giving them a perspective that is different than everyone else, but makes better sense talking and speaking to what is really driving them, what they're trying to get closer to or away from, 
and then genuinely having the ability through your company, your product, your service, your approach to better and more viably help achieve that. If you know that you sell something that 99 out of 100 people never, ever succeed with, then the only way you could truthfully sell that, in my opinion, is saying, look, let me be honest. 99 out of 100 people that buy this won't make money. The one that does, one out of 100, it could make 100,000, a million. I can't promise you'll be that. I don't want it on my conscience. <laughs> if you're willing to speculate, you can afford it, and you know that the odds are against that, I will gladly sell it to you. That demands courage. Yeah. I think most people would not assume capable of sharing that because there's a sense of scarcity. If you're trying to sell that product, you know that for a fact, it's almost like, oh, but you know, if I tell them that, then I might find myself not selling anything. I might find myself being successful in my business. Well, there's a corollary and that is sell something that works for the majority of people, right? Mm. You and I know this, the majority of, and there's two sides to it. You can sell something that works you know that the majority of people aren't going to work it, then you should buffer. One time, this is fascinating. We one time sold, this is pre, I used to sell a lot of training materials and business growth materials. I got the rights to a really qualitative, but a very poorly produced video set that taught people 10 modules for really growing their business different than mine. And the modules content-wise were fabulous, but the video was terrible. And the guy was selling them with a boiler room for four or $5,000 a piece, a set. And I got the rights and I said, I will not sell them for that because I don't think they're worth that. Even though people can make money, I'll sell them for $1,000. I won't deposit the check until 30 days after people have it, but these are not well-produced videos. So I wrote ads that said these hideous videos can probably make your business a small fortune if you can stand watching them and are willing to apply it. And then I gave everybody a course on perseverance as a bonus. And I said, I'm going to put the course above the program and I'm going to have a sealed flap. I don't want you to even open that flap until you've watched the course and feel confident you're willing to go the distance because A, the videos are terrible in production, but great in content. And B, the majority of people don't do a lot with them. And I don't want it on my conscience if you're a procrastinator, an equivocator, or a contemplator. And we sold millions of dollars worth. That is legendary. That is incredible. I love that story. It's so good. And it's such a testament to like, hey, be honest, fix the product, put what's necessary. And now you can have the abundance and a clear conscience, which I think is what a lot of people might struggle with because they feel like they need to sacrifice their integrity to make the impact. But it's totally not the case when you apply concepts like what you teach, which is why I'm such an admirer of your work, Jay. In closing, I wanted to ask, or just bring it to one more space, because I saw one of our members, Melanie, was asking a question that I think is so relevant for people that are starting businesses, maybe they're coaches, consultants. They're feeling that they have the opposite spectrum problem, which is, I feel like I have a product that's of great value, but I'm still having these resistance and blocks when it comes to selling it. 
And I have blocks about putting the price at the right place that it needs to be because I know the value is there. It has a great success rate, but I'm still having these blocks. Do you have any advice you give for people that find themselves roadblocked when it comes to selling more effectively? Sure. When I started, I had methodology I had developed that was very, very powerful, but I didn't have public acknowledgement. I didn't have great advocates. And I had the same thing. I had knowledge, but nobody knew it. So I, first of all, I created success stories. And then with those success stories, I went to influencers of influencers and I bought, I'll never forget the first thing I ever did when I wanted to do my first seminar, I went to Nightingale Conant, who at the time would have been the equivalent of what you guys are today in audio cassettes and CDs and things like that. They published all the big business authors, sales trainers, management people. And I said, I would like, first of all, to work with your company gratis. And if it doesn't make you money, I want you to never talk to me again. But if it does, I want you to introduce me to as many of your authors as will let me buy them two hours of my time. And I will look at their business and I will assess it with them and I will identify underperformance and opportunities and hidden income sources and underperforming revenue activities. And at the end, they can banish me from their lives. They can endorse me. They can do whatever they want. And they set up a hundred, a hundred interviews for me, each one, two hours. I didn't make a penny for two months doing them. But at the end, I had 85 or six of the top experts endorsing me because I invested to do it. A lot of people who lament don't really pursue all the options. There's a great quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it, and I don't mean to demean the people who are asking this question, but there's this story, and I'll say it wrong, but a woman is an amateur opera singer. She gets a chance to go watch in the front row the number one opera singer in the world. She also gets a chance to stand at the backstage and meet and talk to this man for a couple of minutes. She waits for an hour and a half. The man comes out. She shakes his hand and she's jubilant. And she says, I wish I could be like you and have your talent. And he says, no, you don't. She goes, what do you mean? He said, if you really wanted it, you would have it. You would pay the price I paid. You would do what I did. You would train the way I trained. You would practice the way I practiced. You would get the assistance I had. You would have the coaches I had. You would sacrifice the way I sacrifice. People want, and I'm not knocking your colleague because it's not criticism, it's clinical. You want people to acknowledge you when you start. How are you going to do it? Do you have a lot of success stories? If you don't, you better get them. I would buy people. I would do consulting in exchange for access, for endorsement, for the ability to monitor, measure, and utilize somebody's performance data. I did lots of stuff when I was younger. It didn't make me a penny, but it makes me a lot now because I was willing to invest for the outcome I wanted. I don't know that everyone is willing to invest for the outcome they want. Maybe they don't know how, but I learned optimization, highest and best use theory, and you have options. We have tons of options. We don't always understand it. I'll give you one more story, and it uses Tony Robbins, but it's a pretty cool one. When I started working with him 
35, 40 years ago, I went to one of his date with destiny and he was always doing interventions. And I'll never forget a man comes up and says, Tony, I've tried everything to make a lot more money. I can't find anything that works. And Tony, he was thin then and young because everything I says, everything. He says, okay, fine. Tell me the last, oh, I don't know, 25 or 30 businesses that you tried to buy and give me the name of some of the business brokers you used and tell me about the transactions. And then tell me about maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 of the different career retraining courses that you pursued and what happened there. And then tell me about some of the mentoring people that you he went through all this litany and the guy had done almost nothing. And he just sort of melted into a tempid pool of water and floated back to his seat in embarrassment. But most of us, we want an outcome, but we either don't know, unwilling, give up prematurely, think we should be pole vaulters and catapult instantly to overnight success. And it really very rarely, even on an enduring basis, even online, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you guys are very successful, but did he start with 40 or 80 or $100 million company? No, it started with just trying to afford a Starbucks by selling a meditation course. (laughs) Yeah, I know I'm saying it. So, but I think a lot of people are deluded by these people we were talking about to believe that instant gratification is so achievable, so easy. And if they don't get it, there's something wrong with them. And, and that's not I th- true. There's a process. I think that wraps it up so perfectly and is really why I kind of wanted to go in that tangent at the beginning, because I think that those promises, those bold, instant, success, easy, no risk, millionaire type of messages that can be more popular on these platforms really takes away from what is the true skills that are necessary for you to have excellence in your life. And I think this is such a great reminder. And I would just have to say, Jay, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing these amazing ideas. I also want to make sure that everybody who's paying attention to this call right now, if you want to hear one of the best books I've ever picked up to give me this idea of being able to find opportunities in new ways that whenever something's not working, you can see different ways of looking at what you have and making it work. You definitely want to pick up a copy of getting everything you can out of all you've got. It's 21 ways you can outthink, outperform, and outearn the competition. It's Jay's book that he published back in 2001. And I tell you the fundamentals of how you can look at different problems in different ways with all the strategies outlined here are so valuable. I use them in any time I consult with companies myself. And I know it's going to be a powerful tool for you to grow your own career, grow your business, and become a better salesperson in the process. And as a good recap here, Jay, I just want to make sure people really understand that we started with making sure that when you go into business, focus on the providing of value. This is one of the time and tested things that Jay has seen over the years. And the tactics, they can be great, but they're very fleeting. They come and go and they might give you a short-term advantage, but it's not what's going to give you that sustained success. We then really looked at what's happening in the industry now. A lot of people are making these bold promises on how to be instantly successful, maybe taking advantage of a bull market that's happening now. But when the rug gets pulled from under them, as Jay mentioned, you're going to see who stands. And we've discussed some of the things that you want to bring into your own character, being more patient as opposed to impulsive so that you can identify the opportunities you want to associate yourself with and really be able to cut through the crap. 
that is out there as well. Mm -hmm. We then wanted to go back into this strategy of preeminence. I love this old definition where if you actually look at your clients with a definition being that they are in the care of, you are taking care of your buyers. This could be your buyers as a salesperson. It could be your employees as an employer as well, but really always looking at people, not as a commodity, as what customer defines, but really as clients, that is the most powerful way you can operate. So you can really step into this preeminent stage, which is you are the most trusted advisor for whatever field that you are in. So how do you put their interests before yours? How do you always come from a place of service? How do you stay with your integrity and realize that when you do so, you get to be so much more impactful in the process? This has been a fantastic conversation. Jay, thanks again so much for your time. I wish you all the best. And for everybody tuning in, you've been given some tools to be truly superhuman in the process. Well, you're very gracious. And I thank you for being an advocate of my work. And you did, I believe, a great commentary on the book. I don't know if you guys still have it up. I think you sent it to me once to use, and I don't know if we even have it, so send it again. But it was really impressive. But <laughs> I'm always honored when somebody advocates and champions my work. One of the things I'd like to say, because there's two points that you made that I forgot. One is value is very subjective. What you think is value may not be to the other side. So make sure that you're in alignment with their definition of value and there are ways to do it. It takes a longer time to explain. And secondly, one other element, which is really important in preeminence, most people in business, particularly, they fall in love with their product, their service, their company, their industry, and that's okay. But if you fall in love with the people you serve and you really see in your mind's eye your product or service or company at work, making that person's life better by using your products or service, not just static and transactionally by getting it. And you see how that product or service at work in their life is making that life richer or happier, or safer, or more prosperous. Now you've really gotten the meaning of it. So thank you, Jason. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.